1: 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. of the world champion. This is A's baseball. This is Green and Gold History.
0: It's time for another edition of Green and Gold History. Chris Townsend with David Feldman. He joins me once again. And David is obviously one of our A's historian and works for the Pac-12 Network and ESPN and all the great things that he does. And he also works for Major League Baseball as an official scorer. You know, before we get into the top ten, what kind of pressure? Because you've done you've done a perfect game, right? You did Matt Cain's perfect game. You've done no-hitters. Like, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to keeping – because baseball is about numbers. Numbers equate to money.
2: Well, I'll tell you this, too. I had the official score nightmare uh, on Sunday in San Francisco. And that was where Ramon Marquez of the Rockies has a no-hitter going on into the eighth inning. So you're obviously a little on edge anyway. It's a no-hitter. And then uh, Brandon Crawford hits a smash at Nolan Arenado. That one hops him, b- bounces off his body. Now Arenado, being the great fielder that he was, that he is, makes the play. And I'm just thinking, thank goodness, right? Because the last thing you want in that situation is to become the story. Dude, is it a hit or an error and either way you call it it's the story right if you call it a hit oh he broke you ruined the kid's no hitter what are you doing you call it an error oh now you cheapen the no hitter because it really should have been a hit you can't win either way so all i was i was saying to myself if marquez finishes this no hitter i'm definitely sending a thank you note, thank you note to nolan arenado
0: <laughs> i can't imagine the pressure okay so for green and gold history we were doing top 10 all-time oakland athletics so we did third base the first time
2: now we're going to do catchers catchers you know why i've always liked catchers and if i can go back to being a little leaguer i would have been a catcher knowing what i know now uh one you're the only guy facing the right way on the field it's a big thing you get to see everything uh two you're in control of the game right pitcher doesn't throw a ball until you decide that you're ready and you're set um, you got the best view. You're in control. And it's it's fun. You're in on every pitch. I think catchers, you know, when you're a kid, you're afraid because you're going to get hit. you get going foul tip. Uh, you're afraid of getting hurt maybe. Uh, but now, knowing you're up back there with all that protection, you're not going to get hurt. Uh, and it's going to be fun. I would go back and be a catcher.
0: Well, you said the one thing that I talk about all the time is that you're the one guy. You're the captain of the ship. You're the one guy that's looking at everybody, and everybody's looking into you. And you're the guy calling the game, controlling the game. And it's even gotten tougher over the years, as we recently just did an episode with Ray Fossey, who is going to be on your list, about how in the One World Series they use, what, five pitchers in a World Series? Now, I mean, look at the A's. You only have a couple bench guys because you have 13 different pitchers. You got to know who these guys are. You got to know what makes them tick. You got to know their stuff. Talking to Josh Fegley on this on this homestand. I said, what is it like as a catcher when you know, uh-oh, this guy doesn't have it? Cuz now you got to manage him through the game the best you can. Plus as a catcher, you got to know the other team and everything. So this is a very heady position. It's gotten tougher over the years.
2: Yeah, so much information that you have to be able to decipher quickly. That's just on the defensive side. Oh yeah, you actually have to go up and hit too. So now you see these two-way catchers who are able to be you know, effective offensively and defensively. It's a rare thing. And now more than ever, to find somebody in that position who can do all that, can be a great defensive catcher, and still contribute with the bat, that is a rare find these days. All right, let's get down to it. Top ten catchers all time. I know you always have your honorable mention. Yeah, let's start with some of the honorable mentions. Some of the names, uh, Mike Heath, Derek Norris, Mickey Tettleton. Uh, Mickey was here was before he started eating the Fruit Loops and got to be good. Uh, Mike McFarlane, who was actually a big part of the 99 A's and, and was – his teachings actually really helped the A's in 2000 through 2003 win as much as they did because of what Mike McFarland did. He was always
0: for his career a steady guy, a
2: steady guy and a great teammate. And just I remember this when Jason Isringhausen's in, in New York, Yankee Stadium, 1999, trying to save a game, crowds going crazy. First pitch, Isringhausen throws curveball in the dirt. Next pitch is a fastball about four feet high. And Mike McFarlane goes to the mountain, and you can read his lips on TV. He just had that big look on his face going, whoa, big fellow! whoa. <laughs> just calm his ring house and house down. I mean, if there was anybody who was like Crash Davis, the Kevin Costner character, Mike McFarlane was very much like that. Uh, a couple other names for you. Sal Fasano, who actually broke one of the windows in Mount Davis. who's was the first one I can remember breaking the window. Jamie Quirk, who was part of the 90As, had a fan club out in the bleachers. Everybody had T-shirts. A.J. Hinch. Starting catcher in 1998. Now I always remember this too. 98. Opening day. AJ Hinch makes the team as a starter. Jason McDonald makes the team in center field. Here's your first game. Go face Pedro Martinez. Yeah. <laughs> and it was almost you had that look, especially with Jason McDonald, as he struck out twice. He was like, Okay, Jason, call your mom to have come and pick you up. <laughs> You're not gonna make it. And then another special mention, Billy Bean, A's general manager, caught one inning. No, he did not. He caught one inning in nineteen eighty nine. They were trying to find a place for Billy. I mean, he just – he obviously offensively, he wasn't good enough a hitter to be an outfielder on an everyday basis. But they said, Billy, you're a smart guy. Catch. We'll get you in there. And so they actually got him in there for one inning in 1989. That is phenomenal A's history right there. <laughs> and then to me, if I had an 11, we only have 10, but if I had 11, 11 would be Jonathan Lucroy. Because of everything that he did last year, I don't think the A's win 97 games without his contributions – mainly defensively, the way he worked at pitching staff, you talk about all those different starters and guys who were not at the top of their game and he was able to massage them through through ninety seven wins. Did enough offensively to stay on the field but, you know, he threw out twenty eight base dealers last year. We hadn't seen a throwing catcher like that in a while. Um, he was just tremendous i think he he deserves recognition as number 11.
0: i'm glad you bring him up because you know a lot of people kind of forgot through the offseason they used 15 starters last year 15. and we talk about controlling a staff think of how many guys throughout the year were up and down and up and down that he had to learn on the
2: fly to make it work 15 starters 34 different pitchers altogether. Uh, he just he just did a tremendous job and it, you look at this offseason and the decision not to bring him back Uh, I know that's been questioned by a lot of A's fans, and and you can see why, because of how effective he was last year. All right, number 10, doing the top 10
0: A's, Oakland A's catchers of all time, Dave Feldman, A's historian, number
2: 10. Number 10 goes back to the first year of the Oakland Athletics. He actually came up in 1964 when he was 18 years old with the Kansas City A's, kind of established himself by 1970. You might know him more as a pitching coach, but Dave Duncan comes in at number 10 and you look at dunk dunk was an all-star in 1971 1970 he had 10 home runs 71 15 home runs 72 their first world championship year 19 home runs dave duncan was a big part of that A's team he came up with everybody as we said he was young when he first came up went back to the minors Really joined the A's. Didn't play every day. He platooned with a couple different guys, but he was the one mainstay. And there was a big trade with Dave Duncan that helped to bring on a catcher who's we're going to talk about a little later in the list.
0: Dave Duncan and I went to the same high school, Crawford High School in San Diego.
2: Wow. See, that's good knowledge. Right? And he was uh, knew my mother. He was a little bit younger than my mom. So he's not your dad? No. No. I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave Duncan, obviously, his, his mark on the A's as a pitching coach with Tony La Russa. Um, And Tony always, he always gave Duncan the credit for all the reclamation projects, you know, from Storm Davis to the the late Scott Sanderson uh, to obviously Dennis Eckersley uh, and Dave Stewart, that Dunk was the guy. um, And he learned a lot from those A's teams early having to catch, you know, Vida Blue and Catfish Hunter and Ken Holtzman. He learned a lot just from that, that he was able to partake. And, and put into the current pitchers that he coached
0: yeah i mean you think of great pitching coaches of all time lee mazzoni what he was able to do with the atlanta braves and then what duncan continued to do in st louis
2: yeah and and has always talked about too that there should be a wing in the hall of fame for coaches right there are some great coaches walt Reniac is a batting coach um dave duncan is a pitching coach johnny sane is a pitching coach there's, there's something that should be acknowledged because. Only managers right now are really being put in. in. But these guys, huge contributions to the game. Number nine. Number nine was an A's catcher for a lot of bad A's teams. Jeff Newman. Jeff Newman. I can see the quizzical look on your (laughs) face. Uh, Newman was a member of the A's from 76 to 82. He was an A's all-star. He was your 1979 A's all-star where he had 22 homers, 71 runs driven in. Uh, here's what I always remember about Jeff Newman so 1982 Billy Martin's the A's manager A's are not going well they're not hitting the ball at all and they're playing the Kansas City Royals it's a day game here at the Coliseum a beautiful day and the
0: Royals were really good back in the 70s and early
2: 80s they were good and, and Billy Martin decided to do something he had done a couple times before and a couple other stops but never in Oakland he decided to pick his lineup out of a hat Jeff Newman Batting leadoff for your 1982 Oakland A's, playing third base. You have the greatest leadoff hitter in the history of the game, and Ricky Henderson. Ricky batted eighth that day. <laughs> Tony Armis, big home run hitter, batting second. The A's lose by a score of one to nothing. And I still remember to this day, I was sitting in the first deck, ninth inning, 0-0 game, Brian Kingman, UL Washington. Remember U.L. Washington for the Royals? He always had the toothpick in his mouth? Shortstop. A 13-hopper up the middle, scoring the only run of the game. And the other thing that was interesting about that day is sitting on the section beside me was Oakland Raiders center Dave Dalby. That's old school. Dalby barely fit into the Coliseum seat. But Jeff Newman playing third base. Again, somebody had to catch these bad A's teams, and Newman was a big part of that. Him and uh, Mike Heath split a lot of the catching duties. Uh, Newman was eventually traded to the Red Sox uh, with Tony Armas to bring back Carney Lansford. All right. Number
0: eight on your top ten all-time Oakland A's catchers.
2: I think number eight is a guy who gets lost a little bit in what the A's did in their championship run. But he was the second part of the catching tandem, and that's Ron Hassey. Ron Hassey came over, signed as a free agent for the 88 season, 35 years old, an older catcher, left-handed swinger, but they needed somebody to go with their right-handed hitting Terry Steinbach. And Ron turned out to be the perfect guy because he was a backup catcher who could catch two once or twice a week, be productive still, and then he becomes Bob Welch's personal catcher. In 1990, he started all of Bob Welch's 35 starts. Bob Welch wins the Cy Young, goes 27-6, 2.95. Uh, he also was Dennis Eckersley's catcher, especially in 88. And if you go back to the game one against the Dodgers, Terry Sandbach who started the game, look who's catching in the ninth inning. It's Ron Hassey. And Tony did that a lot that year where he put Ron Hassey in to catch Eck late in games because he liked the way Ron called games and the way he worked with certain pitchers. Uh, Ron also had a couple of huge home runs. Uh, game three of the 88 uh, ALCS against Boston, the A's were turning 5-2 uh 5 nothing I'm sorry and they trailing 5-4 and and Hassey has a two run go ahead home run this place goes electric um, and the other claim to fame from Ron Hassey does nothing to do with the A's but he's the only catcher to have caught two perfect games he caught Len Barker in 1981 and 10 years later a member of the Expos he catches Dennis Martinez's no-hit perfect game at Dodger Stadium really the only catcher to catch two perfect games because what are we up to now, like 22, 23, something like that, perfect games? Uh, yeah, I think it's 22 perfect games. And he's the only guy to catch two. Catch two. It's pretty amazing. But he was a big part of that A's team. Again, I think he gets lost a little bit, you know, with the superstars you had, with Ricky and Stu and Canseco and McGuire. But Ron Hassey was that settling force, to, really, with Bob Welch. He was, he worked tremendously with him. Uh, the A's were back in Baltimore. Queen Elizabeth was in America, and they took her to an Oriole game. Queen Elizabeth and George Bush. They're going to meet everybody on the team. This is Old Memorial Stadium. This is Memorial Stadium, and the two that she doesn't get to meet is Bob Welch and Ron Hassey, because they're warming up in the (laughs) bullpen. You know, but you think about it, the way you build a
0: team, ideally you want... Whether your starter is going to be right-handed or left-handed hitting, you want the opposite for your bench guy.
2: You do. And and the the left-handed hitting backup catcher is always preferred. It's just even not in the platoon situation, but also as a pinch hitting option. And and was he was so good in that role, even at an advanced age. That was the thing when he came in in 88. Why are we bringing this old catcher in? What are we doing? Why did we get rid of Mickey Tettleton? Well, this is why. Because this guy can bring some stability and some offensive production to the team.
0: Number seven
2: number seven i think a lot of people like this guy not known for his power but known for his grit that's jason kendall and jason kendall he was acquired from the pirates now this is a brilliant move anyway the a's had two pitchers on their roster at the end of 2004 making a lot of money who they weren't very good and that was mark redmond and arthur rhodes remember they brought arthur rhodes in to be the closer and that was a disaster somehow they got the pirates to take both of those guys in exchange for jason kendall And, you know, Kendall was the perfect guy to come in. You know, Ramon Hernandez was gone at this point. They had Damian Miller caught uh, in 2004. Kendall becomes our catcher in 05, and he plays every day. And this guy, you couldn't get him out of the lineup. Uh, 2005 started 146 games. 2006 started 141 games. No catchers were doing that then. And he batted leadoff. at leadoff. Uh, And we know the grit and how how he was on the field. The play in Texas where it's a wild pitch. Michael Young is going to score from third base. Kendall gets the ball, goes back, puts his face first in front of the plate to get the out. Where Michael Young, if his spikes are high, that's it. Kendall's gone. His face is now gone. It's laying on the on deck circle. But he just puts his face into it and he makes the play. And, of course, he finally did hit a home run as a member of the A's. Uh, He didn't win the whole five season, no home runs. Finally, on May 31st, 2006, he hits a home run off Joe Peralta, and you can still hear Ray Fossey just laughing in the background (laughs) with the call. Just so excited that Jason Kendall finally went deep.
0: Fossey always gets a little excited about catchers.
2: Ray likes his catchers. And Ray is going to be on this list. Who is number six? Number six is a two-time A's All-Star. Let me ask you something. Do you believe? Oh, I believe because I saw him win a playoff game. You believe in Stephen Vogt. A lot of the A's fans believed in Stephen Vogt. Stephen Vogt made a lot of believers out of a lot of people. Here's a guy who started his career. He went 0 for 25 with Tampa Bay in 2012. Comes to the A's, go 0 for 7. So he's 0 for 32 as a major leaguer. This guy can never hit. Boom, hits an 0-2 pitch off the Cardinals' Joe Kelly for a home run and never looked back. And you're right, he won a playoff game. Pinch hits, or a walk-off single off Rick Porcello in game two of the ALDS versus the Tigers. Uh, This guy just became an offensive force after that. He got to become an everyday catcher. 2015, he's an all-star. 18 homers, 71 runs batted in. 2016, he's an all-star again. 14 homers, 56 RBI. Uh, And he deserved it for what he was able to do. Now, in 2014... You think about this, the, the A's wildcard year. He was one of the last cuts in spring training, even after he you know, wins the game in 2013. But he gets called up on June 1st. He ends up playing mostly first base down the stretch, which was actually a big thing because the A's had to go with Derek Norris and then Giovanni Soto. But vote showed his toughness and his ability to do anything. He had a game here once where he played catcher first and right, things you don't see. Once he became the everyday catcher, just an all-star and a fan favorite and i don't think anybody's ever going to forget those cheers
0: oh no and, and and every single time he came to the late i believe in stephen vote i believe it. and the thing about him is he's one of this this generation of a's this newer generation where he loved
2: being here he loved playing here he did he loved being here he brought that personality right the referee stick that he did uh the other impressions What a great guy to have in the clubhouse and takes to the fans. The fans take to him. Uh, The A's finally had to move him in 2017 to make room for Bruce Maxwell. Uh, So he went to the Brewers, and now he's in the Giants system. Uh, But I don't think Steven Vogt and his time here will ever be forgotten. Number five. Oh, here we go. The face of the franchise. face of the franchise has been here forever. Ray Fosse. Now, Ray, again, he's acquired on March 24th of 73. So think about this, this is about a week and a half before the season starts. He's acquired from the Indians for Dave Duncan and George Hendrick, and George Hendrick went on to have a fantastic career. But Ray was at sort of the missing piece for the A's coming into that spring because they had won in 72, but at that point, Gene Tennis had taken over the, the catching job. But Gene Tennis could do a lot of different things, and they weren't sure if they wanted Gene Tennis to be an everyday catcher. They needed somebody. Again, Dave Duncan had sort of fallen out of favor for some things. And they get Ray Fossey, was a tremendous handler of pitchers, right? And that's what they needed with Catfish and Holtzman and Blue. You needed that guy who control a pitching staff. Uh, due to the collision with Pete Rose, Ray wasn't quite the same offensive player he was when he was younger, but he was still good enough to play. And what he could do with that pitching staff, and he tells the story right away in spring training, the first time he's catching Catfish Hunter, he puts his glove down and Catfish goes right on the spot. Moves a little bit more outside. Catfish doesn't miss. And Ray's like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm just going to sit here and catch. And you think about what Ray does too on on a clubhouse that is known for being volatile. Ray has that calming personality where he can talk and get along with everybody. And he was able to do that. Now, one time it hurt him because in 74, there's a big brawl going on in the Tiger Stadium locker room and Ray decides he's going to play Peacemaker and that does not work out well as he's hurt and he's injured. Uh, is out for most of the year. But after missing three months, he comes back for playoffs. What does he do? He's a three-run homer in game two. Hits a solo shot off former or future Hall of Famer Don Sutton in game five. Ray Fossey can produce when it mattered. Uh, 75 is where it gets – I feel sad for Ray now because Ray kind of got screwed in the Charlie Finley world. Because in 75, Finley wants Claudio Washington to play every day. And that meant Joe Rudy goes to first base. And that meant Gene Tennis goes behind the plate. And that sends Ray to the bench. So Ray only gets to start 41 games to catch her the whole year. He hits 140. He never really gets a chance to, to play regularly. Um, that was the end of Ray's career with the A's. Until 1986. When all of a sudden, Ray is part of the A's PR staff. A's, he's doing A's PR. And while he's doing that, he's doing radio on the home games. He's been a member now of the A's broadcast team since 1986. That is a long time to be a part of the A's. And as you say face of the A's, when you talk about Oakland A's, Ray Fossey, he is really the face of the A's.
0: Two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, the face of the franchise. Number four.
2: Number four. Kurt Suzuki. Wow. Wow. Here's a guy who won the College World Series at Cal State Fullerton in 2004. Later is the ace's second-round pick. He's up in the big leagues in 2007. The ace trade Jason Kendall to give a spot for for Suzuki to play. And then he just becomes Mr. Clutch, right? Eight walk-off hits. Eight of them, including two home runs. Two of them pinch-hit walk-off hits. Uh, 2009, his best offensive year, hits 274 with 15 bombs, 88 runs batted in, 37 doubles, handles the pitching staff. Uh, Kurt Suzuki was your everyday catcher on those teams. Again, you're in a part of the A's where success isn't there yet, right? He was here to 2012, he gets traded during that season to Washington. But bridging that gap from 07 to 12, it was Kurt Suzuki playing every day and doing a really good job and being very productive and very clutch. And really one hell of a guy. He was always one of my favorite guys to cover. You know, and there's a reason, you know, he came back to the A's for for a short while, uh, but his career has lasted. He became an all-star with the Twins, and now he's back with the Nationals. Uh, there's something to say about being a good guy. You're going to get opportunities. And Kurt, who has kept himself in fantastic shape, uh, he looks the same now as he did 10 years ago, uh, and he's still a productive player, and he's going to get opportunities because he is a good guy, and he works his tail off.
0: Kurt Suzuki, number four. Number three.
2: Number three is a guy we mentioned earlier. Gene Tennis. Now, Gene was drafted out of high school by the A's in 1965. This is a 65 draft. There's Ray Foss, he was in 65 draft. Uh, a guy named Johnny Bench was in 65 draft. Rick Monday. Rick Monday, the number one pick. Uh, pretty good for the first ever Major League Baseball draft. Uh, but Gino, so again, trying to find a position for him. Dave Duncan's pretty much the catcher. Gino would play first. He'd play a little catch. But in 72 in the postseason, it all opens up for him, right? Two home runs in game one. He becomes the World Series MVP with five home runs total. Hits 343 with nine runs batted in. Who's Gene Tennis? You know there's somebody in Cincinnati who's going, we can't get this guy out. Who is this guy? (laughs) He never hit another postseason home run after
1: 1972.
2: He had a lot of shots. He had a lot of shots, because think about it. He won the three World Series with the A's. He won a fourth World Series in 1982 with the Cardinals. Oh, and as a coach, he won two World Series with the Blue Jays. He's got a lot of rings, Gene Tennis. Uh, Gene in 73, again, because you have Ray, you brought Ray over, and Ray mostly caught that season. So Gino played a lot of first. Um, And If you look at his career in 73, 132 starts at first, 23 starts at catcher. 74, 97 starts at first, 58 a catcher. But 75, he goes back to being a catcher full time. Uh, if you were playing baseball, if he was a player today, he would be coveted because of his on-base percentage. Gino walked all the time. He had a 400 on-base percentage as a catcher. Now, he, he did his fair share of striking out, but he was able to get on base. Uh, when he did catch, he was a good game caller. He was an okay thrower. But offensively, he was a guy who always kept the lineup moving because he was always on base. And, again, he's high on the list. A lot of it has to do with 72 World Series, but he caught enough. Uh, He's Gene Tennis. He's one of the A's, you know, not quite on the Mount Rushmore, but he's on the Mount next to it. Well, he collected a lot of rings, no doubt about it. Number two. Number two, Ramon Hernandez. 1999 to 2003. Came up in June of 1999. Uh, becomes the everyday catcher and is just a tremendous offensive player and defensive player now here's a little story about Ramon you might not know in 99 he comes up so it's about three weeks into this to his career and he's catching we're playing a game in Kansas City it's about 115 degrees on the field incredibly hot the A's have an 11-8 lead going to the bottom of the ninth Billy Taylor's on the mound well, it was a two-run homer to Joe Randa. Now it's a one-run game. The A's had already used a lot of different players. You had Tony Phillips and Jorge Volandia on the infield, and they're switching back and forth from third and second, depending on what side the batter's on. So if left-hander batter was up, Tony would go to third, Volandia would go to second. Righty would come up, they'd flip-flop. It's a crazy game. Bases are loaded now. Two outs. Still, the A's have a one-run lead. Or this game's tied at this point, I'm sorry. Steve Scarsoni, who's part of the A's system now, he's trying to score from second on an infield roller that Velandia stops behind second base. Turns, throws to the plate. Ramon Hernandez catches it, blocks the plate, and gets just destroyed by Steve Scarsone. Destroyed. Holds on to the ball, gets the out. A's would lose when uh, future A, Jermaine Dye, would hit a walk-off home run. But ever since that, with Ramon, the A's told him, do not block the plate you were too valuable an offensive player to be blocking the plate and risking injury and there were times later in his career where fans would yell at him for not blocking the plate for being in front of the plate but that was why he was told not to all because of this game jose guillen joins the a's in 2003 right with the unbelievable arm i remember his first game with the a's runner at second single to right jose guillen comes up throwing throws a rocket Ramon catches it on the fly, but he's two feet in front of the plate. <laughs> and the batter just slides in between. And was' like, what's going on? He was told not to. But Ramon was huge. Of course, big postseason moment. 12th inning. Game 1, 2003 ALDS. The walk-off bunt. Uh, he was an all-star in 03. He was the first position A's all-star in a long time in 03. Uh, and then he was finally traded after the 03 season to San Diego Terence Terrence Long to get Mark Kotze. But you think of those early 2000 A's. And the mainstay behind the plate was always Ramon Hernandez.
0: And the number one catcher in Oakland A's history is?
2: Terry Steinbach. And I really don't think there's any argument to make that he's not the number one catcher in A's history. From really taking over as the everyday catcher in 87 to when his last game with the A's in 96, he was the man. Uh, how about he making his major league debut on my birthday in 1986? First at-bat, Greg Swindell, home run. One of only two Oakland Athletics to home run their first at-bat. This guy's with a three-time All-Star, and we all know about 1988, he was only hitting 214, but he gets voted as the starting catcher in the AL All-Star, as the AL All-Star uh, starting catcher. Fans are all open arms. How can you have this guy? What does he do? Hits a home run off Dwight Gooden. Hits a sack fly off Bob Nepper. The AL wins 2-1. Two, two to one. Terry Steinbach, your All-Star Game MVP. Uh, obviously in the World Series against the Giants. He hits the big three-run homer uh, in game two, which is immortalized because you always see it on the highlights when they show the earthquake because that's what ABC was showing when the earthquake hit was highlighted as a game two in Steinbach's home run. Uh, Then he had one of the years, a career year in 1996 where he had 35 home runs, 34 of them as a catcher, which at the time was the AL record for homers by a catcher breaking the record of Carlton Fisk, nicknamed Pudge. Later, Steinbach's record was beaten by Yvonne Rodriguez, nickname Pudge, in 1999. But uh, with the A's, over a thousand games as a catcher, 162 homers, 745 RBIs. He was the man. He was Terry Steinbach and he bridged that, you know, the great A's teams of the late 80s to the early 90s to the Art Howe years in 95 and uh, into 96 when Art took over. And just uh I always remember his last game where he hit his 35th home run. Hits the home run, crosses the plate, goes right in the clubhouse, packs to go home. That's how you walk it off, although it wasn't a walk-off. But for him, it was an A's walk-off.
0: All right, so quickly go down, starting at 10 all the way to 1, your top 10
2: A's catchers
0: of all time.
2: Top 10 A's catchers. Number 10, Dave Duncan. Number 9, Jeff Newman. Number 8, Ron Hassey. Number 7, Jason Kendall. Number 6, Stephen Vote. Number five, Ray Fossey. Number four, Kurt Suzuki. Number three, Gene Tennis. Number two, Ramon Hernandez. And number one, Terry Steinbach.
0: That is your top ten A's catchers of all time with the ace historian who also works for Major League Baseball, ESPN, and the Pac-12 Network, Dave Feldman. I don't know what we'll do next, but we will do another top ten. Great work, my friend. Thank you, Townie. You've been listening to another episode of Green and Gold History.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best